I don't know if you to- uh, know if he told you, but Pastor Todd and I went to seminary together. Meaning, I have all the fabulous stories. Uh, we didn't just cross over a little bit. We started together. Meaning, I know the awkward stories as well. We were at the first day mixer. That nervous lunch conversation. Awkward get-to-know-you questions. I, I promise you asked him, what's your favorite color the moment we met? It was the whole nine yards. We were even randomly assigned to the same semester-long spiritual formation group. We met in the basement of the underground boys' dorm. It was a small group of sorts. It was the place where we were to share our bursts of joy as well as our deep struggles. And let me tell you, New Testament Greek was a real struggle. Many vulnerable things were shared. Uh, But one of my deep desires was to connect with a local church. but, But looking at a bunch of churches in Chicago felt really paralyzing to me. And thus... Pastor Todd had this strong suggestion because he had been attending Sojourner Covenant Church for all the undergrad years. And and he would say, Aaron and I will even drive you. What a sweet deal for someone who didn't have a car. And so for the next four years, I was honored to be in intentional community with them. We we sang songs of worship. He, He played the bass guitar, right? Is that what he still does? Yeah. I heard him give some of his first sermons. They were pretty good. And I served beside Erin in outreach events and so on and so on. She was fantastic at organizing children's ministries. Let's give uh, the people who do that all the praise and glory, right? You are doing such a good job in caretaking our children, and so did she. It is out of this well of theological trust and friendship that we built, and our building, I think I get to meet them for lunch or dinner, maybe, 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 if the Wisconsin gods are with us, uh, that I have this opportunity to bring the word of the Lord to you today. And like many established established churches, Sojo had this closet full of cloth, candles, old hymns, and Christmas pageant props from years ago. Do you have one of these somewhere hidden? Yeah. There was this like shepherd's staff and angel wings and a manger. And most of the time I would emerge from this closet because this is my personality, wearing or holding some sort of Christmas memorabilia. I would be like, guys, have you seen this block of gold? Which absolutely was just uh, like uh, brick wrapped in Christmas paper, always. How do I look with this angel halo? You know, the one that has an affixed silver pipe cleaners that are kind of at an angle around the headband that you know the children were once wearing? Do you have one of these? Can you imagine one of these? Perhaps you have such a pageant props packed away that also elicit similar joy. Or, Or perhaps you can hark back to a time when you or your nephew or your grandson had the opportunity to play the leading and stoic role of Joseph. In my experience, one of the preteens would stand at the microphone and read with as much confidence as they could muster our scripture reading for day. You know, they were like, hello? 
Matthew 1. Matthew 1. You know, I'm, there we go. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It's going to be our scripture reading for today, so if you want to open your Bibles, if that's how your church rolls. Perhaps you are the people on your phones, or you can just listen. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. I'm going to read from the NIV translation. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. In the play, these two children dressed in sheets would stand beside each other and wave at the audience, their hands shaking. And the person would continue on reading, and so am I. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, very kind of him, he had in mind to divorce her quickly. This really was a compassionate point. If at some point you hear a different sermon, you will know that this was Joseph being an honorable, respectable man who was loving uh, his betrothed well. Verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, and this is the kind of line that this kid had been practicing for weeks and weeks and weeks with his mom, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the narrator would continue then on saying, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Can you say this with me? Emmanuel. Manuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But they had no union, they had no sex until he, she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me? Emmanuel, God with us, we are so thankful that you are present here today. That through the songs, we can declare that we are the redeemed. And we are grateful for who you are and what you have done. Lord, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be reflective of you. And may you chaperone each and one of these words into the ears that need to hear. May you do a new work in us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Our Matthew text today, along with Luke chapter 1 and 2, make up the bulk of our context of Jesus' birth narrative and why it's important to us as individuals, as a local congregation, and as Christians from around the globe throughout time. This is a big thing, right? Like, throughout all of history since the first century, this is a key narrative. Advent. Church rhythm. I don't care if you are Catholic, if you are Orthodox, if you are Baptist, if you are Pente Pentecostal, or if you are Covenant. This narrative is crucial in understanding who Jesus is. These three chapters, especially paired with the Old Testament prophecies, invite us to wrestle with who Jesus is. If you love Jesus, this is important. It is what his role is. It is what that divine dance is. And how Jesus' identity impacts us as individuals and as our corporate lives. It's the way we are developed as disciples and the way that we proclaim this good news. This is not something we hide away by ourselves. This is about how we proclaim that which is really important how we proclaim it to our family and friends, how we proclaim it to our strangers and to the people that really bug us. The good news. The gospel writer makes three claims on Jesus' identity and his role and his impact on us through verses 18 and 20 through 25. The first is about the Trinity. The second is about the Savior. And the third is about God with us. Emmanuel. Can I get an Emmanuel? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. If you're taking notes, and I imagine at least one or two of you, if you're following Todd's instructions, there's a little sheet of paper that makes it look like someone is required to take notes. I got it. Yep, see, right there. Extra bonus points. I will tell him. I don't know what that means, but you get at least an extra star or extra plus one or something, something. I will tell him. So if you're taking notes, you can create three categories. Trinity, Savior, with us. Hopefully I won't get in trouble for getting you bonus points, but Todd always loves how I go for bonus points. There you go. As I studied this text, which I will confess can feel so familiar that I kind of mentally skip over it sometimes, even though I know it's really important to Christians throughout all of history, throughout the globe, right? Even though I know that, sometimes I like kind of skip over it. Does anybody else do that? Okay, you don't have to confess. We're just going to assume once in a while. It's, it's like when you drive the same route over and over and over to work and to home or to the daycare, whatever, over and over, and you are paying attention to the road. You're not texting. I know you're not texting, uh, but, but you are paying attention to the road, but you're really not like noticing the landscape, right? It's so familiar that like you are paying attention, but you're not noticing. And, and so my confession is, my mom calls this autopilot. She goes on autopilot. I go on autopilot. So my confession is that at times I autopilot Christmas texts. It's not a great confession for a pastor, but I'm not your pastor, so there you go. Uh, but this time I did not, and something new jumped out at me. 
which is great. It's very exciting. And I should really expect nothing less, right? Scripture is living and active and breathing. And so something new jumped out at me, and I get to share that with you today. It was like a jack-in-the-box that needs just one more crank. And the verse... She was found to be the whole was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and what is in her is from the Holy Spirit. The, these verses forcefully sprung up right into my face. And here at the beginning of the New Testament age, the Holy Spirit is playing this crucial role. Old Testament pro- writers repeatedly refer to the Spirit of God is the agency of God's power, but it wasn't until we are wrestling with Jesus' identity and his role that we are really able to wrestle with the Holy Spirit's identity and role. The only explanation of this miraculous conception is that the Holy Spirit is at work, and that's what makes Jesus incarnate. That was what makes Yahweh with us. This Trinity thing is mind-blending, so I'm not going to fully try to explain it to you because I promise if I try to, I'll do all sorts of heresy. Um, But giving some definition to the person of the Trinity will also see the unity of the Godhead. And this is a definitely limited metaphor. So I'm, I'm telling you, I did not get it all right. Here's the metaphor. If you think back to the pies that you might have eaten this weekend, uh, you may remember this hot thing coming out of the oven, then putting it on the table, letting it rest for a while. Did anyone eat pie this weekend? Yes. Doesn't matter where you are in the country, pie, pie. Here we are. When the pie came out of the oven, it cooled for a little bit. Uh, then, then you may have made one cu- cut and two pieces gain definition. Right? The, the person was like, here's the round pie. And they just make one straight cut. And then there are two pieces. And then by making one more cut, uh, another piece was gained. A third piece had definition. No pie is lost. Right? None of your daughters have snuck a piece of pie yet. There's all the pie left over, but there's definition. One, two, three pieces. And the pumpkin goodness was still whole, and, and yet there was a particular claim on each of those slices of identity, role, and deliciousness impact on your taste buds. In the same way, Scripture makes a decisive cut in saying that our, the unique child's identity is intrinsically linked to the role and power and the unity of the Trinity. And that Trinitarian concept propels us now into the way we develop as disciples as, an, as well as evangelists. Matthew bookends his gospel with the same theme in chapter 28. If you want to check my facts, you can flip to chapter 28. It's the very end of Matthew, right before Mark. Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I command you. And surely, and surely I am with you. Surely I am with you. Did you hear this in the beginning of Matthew? I am with you. To the very end of the age. God is with us till the very end of the age. This takes place at the very end of Jesus' life here on earth. It's what is known as the Ascension. I wrote a whole paper on the Ascension. Everyone thought I was crazy, but it's an important piece. Right after Jesus is resurrected, uh, he goes up into heaven in this Ascension, and then Pentecost happens. And when Jesus stood on the mountain, he said his goodbyes and he rose to the skies. And thus far, Jesus incarnate has not returned back to earth. And so how is his presence, how is his God with us-ness, God with us-ness, with us? Well, in Matthew 10, 20, Jesus gives his disciples this promise. For it is not uh, for it is not will be not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus' identity and role as part of the Trinity impacts us today because in our present age, it is the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that was conceived Jesus uh, into Mary, it is that spirit who is living and active inside of you, although I don't think you're pregnant with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is living and active inside of you as individuals and as a church. And it is that that empowers us to do God's kingdom work here on earth. Your power, your proclamation is through the Holy Spirit. The same one who gave Jesus identity. Good news? Yeah? Yeah? So first, Trinity. 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 You're awesome. I already adore you. There you go. Two stars. The second claim is that the gospel that the gospel writer makes is about Jesus's identity and his role and his impact on our lives comes from verse 21. You, he's speaking to Joseph, are to give him the name Jesus. Has anyone ever heard the name Jesus before? You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This verse in the New Testament is the only attempt to find meaning in the name Jesus. Likely because the name Jesus uh, and Hebrew equivalent, uh, I can pronounce this word, Josiah, there we go, uh, because the name Jesus and Josiah were popular names in first century Judaism. Yet yeah, more significant than the trendy 2019 names of Wisconsin, I looked them up because I want to relate to you. Uh, here are some boy names. Henry, Oliver, Liam, Logan. Do you know any of these names? Yes. Yes? Great. Uh, their parents who give their sons the popular name Jesus and uh, Josiah did so as a symbolic hope for Yahweh's anticipating sending of salvation. Every time this Jewish mom called their son Jesus to the table, 
Come on, it's dinner time. There was a proclamation of God's salvation. There was this anticipated hope, like we talked about at Advent. This anticipated hope that, that the Messiah is coming. There rings out echoes of Joshua bringing the Israelites into the promised land. And this naturally led on how God used Moses to deliver his people out of the bondage of Egypt. Do you know this? This is from the book of Exodus. And so now God in Jesus will save them and, and people from all nations from the bondage of sin. Matthew has drawn an explicit line in permanent black marker. Right? The, and they're not the like, little sharpie ones that are tiny thin. No, no. It's like the thick, I'm moving and packing box one, right? Whoosh. The one you really hope your kids don't get into. Because then when you sell your house, you're just going to have to like, repaint 19 times. There, there is this sense that Matthew is drawing this particular line from Jesus' name as Savior to his explicit role in saving humanity from systemic sin and from saving individuals from public and private sins. Jesus' saving work should make a daily impact on how we are developed as disciples. I'm going to throw out some ideas. It, it, it's important about our Christian formation that we participate in. I am positive that Pastor Todd, Todd is trying to get you doing some sort of Christian formation. Perhaps a Bible study. Perhaps a prayer meeting. Perhaps some small groups, right? How we are discipled, how we are developed as disciples is a direct line of who Jesus is. Perhaps it is about the less than honor, Christ-honoring conversations that we walk away from right this is a part of our discipleship when we hear people saying things that we know we should not participate in we either say is that christ honoring or we walk away perhaps it's about the way we spend and invest our time and our talents and our treasures and Jesus' saving work should make a daily impact on what we do, and not just as an individual. This is not all about your private Savior, your private Jesus that you get to like take home and pray for at night and then like put away in a little box. This is also about how we relate to the world around us, how we acknowledge systemic sins, how we acknowledge what is happening impacts us, how, how we make a difference by fully living into our discipleship. It's how we work the land. Are you being ethical as you work the land? Are you giving the land some rest? Or are you working it so hard that you are destroying it? This is part of your discipleship. It's part of our discipleship. It's how we celebrate sitting next to our children, sitting next to someone we don't know in school or someone we're a little bit uncomfortable with. How we interact with our kids, interacting with people that are a little bit different of us, is about your discipleship in a global world. It's what social media posts we react or retweet or comment on and how we do that well. This is about our discipleship. So first, Trinity. Second, Savior. And third, 
God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Matthew 1, 22 and 23 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is from Isaiah 7 through 14 to be exact. Okay, so I don't know you guys super well. Uh, but how many of you would like to hear a little biblical context of Isaiah? Yeah? Is it okay if I share a little bit of like Bible-y knowledge? Yeah. All right, great. So one of the commentaries I was studying uh, talks about what is this prophecy all about? It's not what you think. It is about God was giving Isaiah a sign that has historical significance and fulfillment of the days of Azah. A-H-A-Z. And, and it was about God who was giving, through Isaiah, a prophecy of future Messiah, Messianic deliverer that was fulfilled in the conception of the birth of Jesus. Right? That's the part we know. Like, you conceive Emmanuel, God with us, that piece. Uh, but, and the virgin will conceive, there we go. But here's the thing. Isaiah prophesied that a woman was going to be a virgin at the time of Isaiah, which was 734 BC, and would bear a son named Emmanuel. Since neither the queen nor Isaiah's wife was a virgin, this was most likely some unmarried young woman within the royal house who he was familiar with. And this woman would marry and conceive a child, and, and when he was born, he'd give them the name Emmanuel. Perhaps, perhaps as a sign, as a symbolic hope of God's presence in the dark times of national difficulties. This is about the, old, the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms and the Assyrians coming. It's the whole nine yards. It's, it's about a king in his house. I don't really know how this always relates to Jesus. There are like four different ways commentaries say, here's how that's going to go. But here's the thing. It's, it's secular in the Jewish understanding of text. It both is true at the immediate moment... This someone in the house, this unmarried woman in uh, Isaiah the kingdom's house. But, but it's also true in a secular version of as they are looking for this Messiah and as they start naming Jesus at that. This is the, how the turnaround of the Jewish text works. It's not a one-to-one -one correlation. Things can be fulfilled again and again and again. So God's miraculous prediction of this military salvation from the attack of two names I can't really pronounce uh, was a prediction of the future Messiah figure who would provide self, spiritual salvation from sin. There's this whole thing, and I'll let you study if you want what's going on in this prophecy, but it's not super evident how Matthew gets into this moment other than Emmanuel means God with us. Emmanuel means that there is a Savior. Emmanuel means that someone is anticipating something being restored. All right? Sound good? Great. So the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I just like that. He stole it from me. God with us. Emmanuel. 
It's simple and it's profound. Jax Kingsbury, a New Testament scholar, wrote, in a remarkable, succinct way, the full significance of Jesus' life and work is caught up in this functional definition of who Jesus is. In Hebrew, Emmanuel means with us, and El is a, a short term for the word for God. And thus, as we read the birth narrative, we are invited into the sacred space of knowing that we're not alone. We're not alone in a snowstorm. We are not alone in our places of work. We are not alone in cancer or depression. We are not alone in our marginalization due to race or gender. We are not alone when the bills pile up. We are not alone when our car is broken down. We are not alone because God is with us, Emmanuel. And although we do not find an angel's wings or a shepherd's staff in the Gospel of John, we do find a poetic example of the divine dance of Jesus' identity and his role, his incarnation. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word. It's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and though th through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Here's that interplay of the Trinity. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. This is the point of the Advent candles. He is the light of all people. Verse 9 says, The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to, to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, can you say yet with me? Yes. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Can you imagine being with someone so much that you are their kid? Right? Parents are so attuned to their children most of the time. If you're a good parent, you are with your kid, especially as a little kid. You are with them. We are children of God. God is with us. Verse 14 says, the word again, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I'm going to end here soon, just so you know. But our invitation to deep discipleship and practical proclamation of the good news is that we know who Jesus is. That's it. Knowing who Jesus is. So let's start at the ground level, really quick. We know that Jesus is part of the triune God who created everything in the beginning. We know that Jesus came down to earth and dwelled among his people. He was incarnate. He was God with us. We know that Jesus is the son of Mary and Joseph. I think Pastor Todd gave you a whole understanding of the genealogy last week. We know that Jesus was conceived as part of the working of the mysterious and glorious power of the Holy Spirit. 
We know that Jesus is the source of light to individuals and to society. We know that Jesus is Savior who brings life to his people. We know that Jesus ties together those strings of history, Jewish prophecy and times of silence and the first century until the present. He ties it all together. We know that Jesus is like a beloved black lab, always with us. I visited my brother and his wife in San Francisco part of this past week. They have this older lab who needed immediate surgery because the vet had found a cancer spot. And so last Wednesday while I was visiting, uh, they were brought him to surgery. And what I noticed about my fur nephew was how he was always with his people. He was so doped up, guys. Like, they give dogs a lot of drugs. Partly because you cannot explain to a dog why they are sore. So he had all the drugs, although he did not want to take all the drugs. Somehow, he managed to get the little pill outside of his food every time, and they had to like maneuver him again. But there he was, post-surgery painkillers, and yet when they went downstairs, he limped down the stairs to be with them. Does anyone else have a dog that is like this at all? When they sat down to watch the Wisconsin and Minnesota football game, who uh, my brother was cheering for the Badgers and my father the Gophers, Rafa was curled up in their sofa with his head in their laps. He was with them. When they cooked, he limped outside the fr uh, fridge door and to the open oven every time. Granted, I think he was looking uh, for a few morsels of the Thanksgiving goodness, but the dog was there, everywhere, staying close to his beloved people. Always close to his beloved people. All the rest of us were good but he loves David and Biz. And this is how Jesus is, how God is, how the Holy Spirit is with you and with us. Whether you are in the kitchen or downstairs or outside, God wants to be with you. God wants to be your Emmanuel. God wants to be invited into that sacred space. He is with us, just as he is with our neighbors. He is with our friends. He is with our enemies. And that is the good news that can be infectious to all that we share it with. You are not alone, and you are not alone, and you are not alone, and your neighbor is not alone, and the person down the street is not alone. God is with them. May this Advent season you experience the Trinity and the Savior and the incarnation of Jesus in this profound way. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Amen. Will you please pray with me? Jesus, we are thankful that you are with us and that we get to be your disciples and that we get to proclaim this good news to all that we meet. We praise you for giving us the power of the Holy Spirit to live out this discipleship. 
to give us the courage to speak and to proclaim this good news. We thank you that you are our savior, that you save us from our personal sins, our public and private sins, but that you also restore and save us in the systemic injustices. We praise you for creating that which was good and loving that which was good. May we invite you to be with us. May we treasure our time with you. May we celebrate it every day during this time of waiting in Advent, the time of Christmas and the time of Ascension and Pentecost, Easter, your resurrection. May we be people who are with you, enjoying your presence and your faithfulness and your radical love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org. listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening.